0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's special recording of Work With Purpose. My name's David Pembroke, but I won't be your host today. Today, Megan Aponte-Payne is joined by Sean Innes and Subo Banerjee as they discuss how do you make meetings fruitful. Take it away, Megan.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Work With Purpose. My name is Megan Aponte-Payne, and I'm from the Office of Supply Chain Resilience with the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. I'm also a member of the IPA Future Leaders Committee, and it's a great honour to be your host today for this episode. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, the Ngunnawal people, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, emerging. I also acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and to this region. I'd also like to acknowledge the custodians of all the lands from where anybody listening today is joining us from. I'm joined today by Mr Sean Innes, Principal of Damala Street Consulting, and Dr Shubo Banerjee, Deputy CEO at ANZOG. Thank you both for coming. Our subject today is meetings, and there are probably some people rolling their eyes just thinking about meetings and how much time they take in preparation and follow up, let alone sitting through them. In fact, it was a a discussion about meetings and their impact on our working day that prompted our guest, Sean Innes, to write an article. Sean, can you tell me about that meeting and a little about the article?
2: Thanks, Megan. It's lovely to be here and talking about such an exciting topic. So uh, I roll my eyes too. And uh, the reason why Shubai and I came to discuss meetings, and and we've been friends a long time, and one of the things uh, that strikes me about our friendship is we share a lot of passions but we think quite differently. And Shubai and I were walking around the lake one Canberra sunny afternoon Uh, talking about one of our shared passions, which was cricket. And we turned to another, which is actually good government and good public administration. We really share a passion for it. And the question Shubo posed was, what would make a difference to public service productivity? What would really make a difference? And the conversation centred on meetings that uh, both of us have Observe that we do a lot of meetings. We're all sick of them, mm. and actually, we don't do them terribly well. And that triggered an exploration of what is better meeting practice. How do we reach it, and what does it mean to try and uh, build that into an organisation?
1: And, and Shubo, from what Sean said, you have similar passions, but you thought about it differently. Did you did you agree on? on this particular thing that really we weren't using meetings particularly pro- productively?
3: Yeah, there, there was a shared sense that we, th- this is such a big part of our working life. It's so important to move issues forward and to get work done. And yet we're like absurdly not reflective about it. Mm. Like we, we complain about it all the time and we're absurdly not reflective about it. And uh, Sean mentioned on the way through that it started from a cricket conversation because we were really thinking about technique and the importance of getting the basics right, really doing the basics at a really high level of excellence and repeatably so. And so this idea that to be really, really good at something actually requires a lot of work in getting the fundamentals uh, absolutely sorted and then being creative off the back of that. So meetings as a topic sounds incredibly dull mm. and boring, but this idea of surely we can do better for something that everyone is complaining about just non-stop, and yet we don't pay attention to these absolutely basic disciplines uh, which, which have a flow-on impact not just in terms of our own productivity and wellbeing but for the productivity of the organisation mm. as a whole as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I, and it feels like nobody's ever stopped and actually looked at, examined how we do them. It's just, yep, I've got these meetings that I have to sit through and and then I've got the rest of my day where I can actually be productive and really we should be able to be productive in, in both.
2: One of the fun things about writing the piece is I try and go back in history and understand how thought lines, song lines almost evolve and... Uh, There's a book written by a a US Civil War engineer. It was written in the 1870s. And the genesis of the book was he was leading a church meeting for his local church group, was so angry at how bad it was, he walked out and said, I'm going to write a book about this. And his book is still in print today, 120, you know, 150 years later. It's amazing.
1: I guess it just shows how much we, we still have to learn about running good meetings.
3: And the, the basics uh, really do have this kind of sense of trying to get them right in a form where the fundamental thinking has been in place for a long time. Mm. Sean's article uh, refers to a Harvard Business Review piece by Anthony Jay, who was one of the uh, writers of the classic Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister series. And it's a serious business article. It's about how to be productive but it's it's coruscating in the sense of how, how so many meetings are just terrible for completely avoidable reasons. And mm. so he sets out some really helpful guidance that stands up incredibly well. It is a fresh contemporary article and it was written in the mid-70s.
1: Incredible. One of the issues I'm interested in exploring is that of over-planning because I think there are a lot of people when they're chairing a meeting are perhaps not very comfortable with ambiguity and so they have their meeting they have their agenda and they want to stick to it and often it's quite unproductive because the chair doesn't allow the meeting to move in in the natural d- direction that it would have would have gone so I'm interested in your views and maybe we'll, we'll start with you Sean on how we can both be really well prepared for meetings but actually also not that coming at the cost of being too rigid
2: Ah, uh, you've put that in a lovely way. And I, I'd make a distinction between preparing for a meeting and being involved in a meeting. So one of my observations would be, actually, we don't prepare enough for mm. meetings. That uh, Priya Parker, another author that I refer to in the book, she wrote a, uh, a love uh, the article. She wrote a lovely book called uh, "The Art of Gathering." Her argument is actually ninety percent of the magic of a meeting is in the preparation mm. not actually in the in the conduct and you've got to prepare for success that's a bit different to running a meeting and i think one of the things that we can all do better is if we're chairing a meeting or we're participating in a meeting be generous mm. about it and every meeting's different every meeting has its own pathway and i'm a great believer in spending time where there is value in a meeting. So make sure you understand your agenda, make sure that you've prepared and that you've brought people into the room, but once people are in the room and focused on the on the purpose, the outcome you're trying to achieve, actually respond to where the meeting's heading. Keep it moving, but spend time on the things which are productive.
1: Mm.
2: Move on if there are if there are unproductive conversations gently move on.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And at the same time as preparing for meetings important, I imagine at the other end as well, actually taking actions at the end of the meeting is really important as well.
2: Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to do anything after our meetings? <laughs> and uh, just as Priya Parker talks about 90% being uh, in advance of the meeting, I actually don't think that's right. A lot of it comes afterwards because it's very rare that we have a meeting and we are the people taking things forward. Usually it's other people. And that handover of the value of a meeting to other people is critical. Otherwise you don't uh, get the outcomes that you're seeking. And it it creates a delicate balance. And my, my advice to chairs is take responsibility for what happens next. It's your responsibility as the chair of a meeting to ensure that that handover occurs well, that the nuances of a meeting are actually translated, and there are lots of different ways you can do that.
1: Mm. But it's your
2: responsibility.
1: Yes, your responsibility doesn't end when the meeting ends. Indeed. Shuba, I wanted to pick up on on the theme of productivity that you mentioned before. Someone once said to me that the effectiveness of a meeting is inversely proportionate to the number of people in the meeting. That is, if you've got lots of uh, a meeting with lots of people, little will get done, and, and obviously a lot of kind of wages are put into each of those people attending. Do you think that's true? And if you do, why don't you think we keep to sticking uh, to smaller meeting numbers?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there. There needs to be careful thought about who really needs to come. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And I don't think there's any great insight in that. Why is that hard to hold the line? Because an important part of what is going on, and in fact the Anthony Jay article I mentioned before talks about this, is that there is a really crucial information sharing part of meetings and people are rightly worried about missing mm. on, on, missing out on that. There is also a status part. There's there's no doubt that uh, various types of meetings convey a status of where you are in the organisation and so it's also hard to leave people out for that purpose. So there are some pressures to bring more people along. Mm-hmm. There are pressures in the opposite direction. Uh, people that come and feel like they're not making a contribution hate it, and understandably so, right? So, so careful thinking about preparation is about what are we going to talk about? What type of meeting is it going to be? A, a large part of, I think, our broader guidance here is there are very different types of meetings and we need to think about what is the, what is the purpose of the meeting? What are we trying to do? What is the kind of discussion we're having? And then, then that dictates who needs to be there. Now, mm. th- there are some absolutely reasonable times where you have a kind of broader-based, lighter-touch information communication meeting. That's okay. That's a different kind of thing. If you're having a kind of more focused discussion where you're trying to move an issue on, you probably do need a smaller group of people. You need to think about the cross-section. You need to think about diversity of views. You need to think about who gets to speak and who's acknowledged as speaking. And a lot of that falls to the chair. So uh, in Sean's article and in our broader conversations, the skill of chairing, I think, is enormously underrated in the public service. A good chair can make just the world of difference between a good meeting and a crap meeting mm. and a broader culture of whether you have good meetings or bad meetings. So I think senior people really need to take very seriously the responsibility of chairing. That They really need to think... If you're an SES person and you are sitting in a meeting and you're thinking, this is crap... Mm. It's your fault. Yeah. You actually need to step up and think, why am I sitting in this crap meeting that I convened, Mm -hmm. right? So a bit more responsibility there is incredibly important. And in the end, someone is the senior person in each of those meetings, so you've got to think about what that is. But I'm a big believer in responsibility at all levels And you need to think at a junior level, well, what is my contribution? What is my Mm -hmm. preparation? How am I going to make the, the best possible use of the time that is happening here? That's both about individual meetings, but that's also about setting up the right culture for broader conversations. So all of us are in teams in one form or another. Probably the most common meeting is the team meeting. Are you having good team meetings or are you not? Mm. And, and literally everyone in the team has a stake in that and everyone should be feeling some responsibility about what kind of meeting you're having to make that worthwhile. What's the duration? What's the style? How do we go about it? I just think there's a lot of complaining about meeting and meetings and not enough taking responsibility, essentially at all levels. Now, it disproportionately falls to senior people because they are doing more of the convening but it, it actually applies all the way across, I think.
2: Did you I, I love you? the way that Shubo puts that. And Priya Parker has this lovely, lovely phrase, and it is, let purpose be your bouncer. Mm. So if you're thinking about who needs to be in the room, it's all about purpose. It's all about what are you trying to achieve and who needs to be there. Meetings are about bringing diversity together. If you didn't need that diversity, that difference... You don't need a meeting. Mm. Um, So that's a really important consideration as to who's there, actually embracing that diversity. The other bit that I'd point to is um, meetings are training grounds. So it's not just about the immediate objective of the meeting. So sometimes you expose people into meetings because that's where you learn. Mm. How you do it's important, And it's also about that translation into action. So uh, I'm working a bit with the Agriculture, Water and Environment Department. And Andrew Metcalf and his senior team, for part of what they're doing as an executive, their future readiness program, has this really interesting mix of meetings that I facilitate where they, they have a lot of people in some bits of it. And then they hunker down just for the executive mm. for other bits of it. And that's all about that balance between people learning, actually the people who are going to do the work being involved and those occasions where the executive actually needs to have a quiet conversation mm. so that they can wrestle through a difficult issue, make a decision and then express it that way. And it's, it it's, doesn't work for everything, but it's a really powerful mechanism that I've seen in action.
3: I mean, let's be clear that part of our message here is chairing is actually a hugely skilled enterprise. You need to think really carefully about that. It's an important part of how you are exercising your management and leadership responsibilities. You've got to be getting the right kind of conversation. You've got to be getting the balance between are you making sure that the process is working well, that you are getting somewhere, as we talked about before, but in other types of conversations, that you're hearing the different types of views, there is actually nothing worse. I mean, again, there's stuff written about this. Um, if you're dealing with a really difficult, intractable, controversial issue, and everyone agrees, you actually haven't grappled with it with any seriousness, right? So so you actually need to look at, are we grappling with the different parts of this well in a departmental context, are we uh, are we gathering views from all the different parts of you know who needs to think about this issue and needs to weigh in, consider different stakeholder perspectives, other things like that. So that's on the substantive side. Meetings uh, reflect culture, but they set culture as well. Mm. So they are a really important leadership exercise. The really fundamental point, right? Particularly as as a, a male, if you're in the chair, you need to be acknowledging people's contribution. Like You need to be very explicit, particularly with female contributions, to make sure that it's not being repeated elsewhere and then being taken up as this fantastic idea. You need to think about the balance between junior and senior contributions. You need to think about whether or not you're fostering a bit of debate, right? Mm. Particularly if you're the senior person and people broadly know where you stand on it. It is a fantastic thing if someone in a meeting is willing to challenge that Mm. in a proper way. Like, that that is such good organisational behaviour, you should be massively encouraging that and fostering that, right? So it's got to be almost this exaggerated sense of, thanks, that was really interesting, let's think about that, let's talk about that. And it's all about having the mastery to do these different things at different times in different contexts. Right? So there are some meetings that have to be short, sharp, you need to move, there's got to be an exercise of authority. It is really an advisory meeting to the senior person. Mm. I've, I've heard your views, I've made a decision, we're moving on. Right, Those absolutely are crucial meetings. There are other meetings where you're really just trying to gather views and trying to get different things on the table. There are other meetings where you're genuinely workshopping things and you're thinking about things aloud. I, I mentioned before about part of the skill of uh, chairing being making sure that you acknowledge contributions often introverts and extroverts need very different meeting cadence as well and you need to be conscious of that Mm -hmm. all of this goes to getting your technique right doing it at a pitch of excellence and doing it repeatedly and that was really what we were talking about in the in the first conversation and really came through in the article
1: So it sounds like you could almost do a degree on how to chair a a meeting. And obviously there's an element of emotional intelligence and experience as well. Admittedly, I'm not at the SES level, but I haven't actually seen training, for example, offered in how to chair a meeting. Is it something that you have seen or is it something you would advocate more for? Uh,
2: It's a really, really uh, good pick up. And Most of us get our training by looking at other people. Mm. So I was in uh, Prime Minister and Cabinet for a long time and this is starting to show my age. Max Moore Wilton was secretary for part of that period. I learnt a huge amount from Max, mostly what I wouldn't do myself when I was in a position of seniority. But he actually did some things that were incredibly effective So most of us learn from others. I worked with another person uh, on an energy white paper. He was a former secretary of the industry department, probably the best chair I came across. And his philosophy was if the meeting's going to get to where it needs to be without you, be quiet. Mm. Let people take control and ownership of what's happening. And not all of our personalities are like that, right? So I've worked with other secretaries who need to be Uh, and other SES officers who need to be on stage. They need to be driving things. And Anthony Jay, who Shubo's mentioned earlier, talks about three types of bad chairs. The first is the person who dominates a meeting, that they've got a view, that's the view that the meeting's going to end with, and they just dominate it through. There's another really bad chair, and that is any outcome's a good outcome. We're here to get an outcome, but it actually doesn't matter what that is. Now, that's bad leadership and chairing. And there's another bad type of chair, which is those who actually just kick the can down the road. Mm. You don't actually make a decision. You don't get an outcome. You don't further the, the joint purpose of, of the meeting itself. You just kick it down the road. My view is that this is really craft, And it's organisational craft and it's individual craft. And I would love to see uh, the public service invest more in helping people learn that craft. If you think about what we do in the public service, it is almost all through meetings. You know, those who sit at the front line do a magnificent job, but most of the people in Canberra our work is through that collective process in one way or another. And and more
3: broadly, I think the APS Academy, through its leadership and management uh, strand of thinking about craft, thinks about exactly these things. You know, how do you learn from practice? How do you learn from senior people in a broader apprenticeship way? Obviously supported by organisations like IPA, ANZOG and, uh, and other specialist providers who are thinking about leadership training. But this is a really important part of how you get your work done. And really, when we were talking about doing this podcast, we, we all had a little bit of a chuckle about just how boring a topic, talking about <laughs> meetings for you know, a podcast would be. But it, it's so central to getting our work done, and, and yet we're not reflective enough about this core bit of our technique and how we can do better at it. So apprenticeship is a really powerful model, as long as you're reflecting, as long as you are learning from each time, you're not just playing the same game over and over again. You've got to actually get better at what you're trying to do. Uh, and so, I think that sense of really then uh, getting to what are the wh- what are the basics that help you set up in the right way. Uh, there's a there's a quote from Charlie Parker, the jazz musician, who says, uh, "Master your instrument, uh, master the music, and then." let it all go and play, right? So there is this sense of you've got to get the basics sorted in such a good way that you can then be flexible and deal with all the different types of issues that we are just talking about and really go where the substance requires you to go. But I guess our pitch is that that requires some really careful thought and attention and it doesn't just come naturally. And I guess part of our evidence would be there's just so much complaining about meetings. There's a lot of band meetings out there. Surely we could do better.
1: Mm, That's really excellent advice. I think that's going to be a key takeaway for me. So I wanted to to think about modern day meetings and in particular online meetings, which have been, I guess, all the rage since COVID hit. And obviously they bring some pros and cons. Um, One of the cons or one of the things I wanted to explore with you is the idea of corridor chats. So I've Certainly in-person meetings, I find that often the most valuable parts of the meeting can occur before and after, and that's not an indictment on the meeting itself. But for example, before the meeting, you're sta- all standing outside the room waiting for it to be vacated. You network, you do some some small talk with, with people who you haven't met before. You have the meeting, there's a, f- a formal version of events run, and then after the meeting, everyone gets up. And someone will come over to you and actually tell you the small p politics version of events, which can often be even more useful for resolving the issue. We potentially lose those elements when we go to virtual meetings. Do you have any ideas or tips for how we can try to replicate the value of those interactions?
2: I love the way you put that. It is boon and bust a bit with uh, mm-hmm. the virtual world. Um, we would not have survived the pandemic the way we have without that. And it's opened up so many possibilities. And I think it is worth emphasising some of the goods before we wrestle with some of the bads, because you can lose the good. Mm. And and personally, what I discovered uh, were a few things. Uh, one was we let each other into our lives a bit more, mm. and the side co- corridor conversations a bit the same. Mm. So in my case, you know, my dog was forever joining my meetings. That I could see in the people I was meeting, their kids running around mm. in the background. I think that was a wonderful thing we picked up. That is similar to the corridor thing. Uh, it's about those human relationships. I chair uh, public policy for a think tank called ADC Forum and we, a couple of weeks ago, held two roundtables, one on Australia's future economy and one on Australia's place in the world. In each case, we brought 12 people together, real experts, wonderful uh, groups of people for an hour and a half conversation. And two things struck me. One was... Uh, we could never have done that face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Would have take months of work to get us together? And the second thing was, and this is the learning of that side conversation, actually there was as much richness in what was going on in the, in the sidebar mm-hmm. written conversation as there was in the meeting itself. A long-winded way of saying, I think we're learning how to do mm. this. Nothing replaces face to face. I talk about, you know, loving to meet people in three dimensions, lovely to meet you today in three dimensions. Uh, nothing quite replaces that. And I don't think it is uh, a matter of uh, somehow ref- re- replicating it virtually. They're different things and they n- we need to bring them together in combination somehow. It, it's not one equals the other. Mm,
1: that makes sense. Well, look, it, I was hoping to, to wrap up today, if I could ask both of you for a call to action. If there's one thing that our listeners can do to try and improve the meetings that they either are participating in or running uh, or running themselves, what would that be? Maybe I'll start with you, Shupo.
3: For me, it's take responsibility and, and take responsibility at all levels. So certainly the responsibility falls more prominently on senior, senior people. If you're the senior person in the meeting, take that responsibility seriously from end to end, from the convening, who needs to be there, the purpose, do we need to have a meeting, uh, what type of meeting is it? It's basic disciplines, again, of starting the meeting with what we're hoping to do today, right? Some of this sounds quite rehearsed, but I tell you what, like the discipline of actually having to say it out loud mm-hmm. helps you, right? And often we're dealing with very busy people who might not have switched quite into the mindset until they're actually sitting there mm-hmm. and thinking about what it is that you know we need to do today. So as a senior person, take more responsibility. Take seriously the idea that if you're sitting in a lot of crap meetings, you should have a look at yourself. You know, you should really look at what's in your control and what's not. But I I would say more broadly, what is the uh, responsibility that people at all levels should take? And that's both directly in the meeting itself, but also in terms of having a bit more innovation, a bit more creativity for different meetings, different styles, different things for different purposes, right? So I think... A short chat through messaging is a good way of doing some of the corridor mm. stuff that you talked about. It's not a full meeting, but it's a bit of a, a bit more kind of figuring out a bit of the context. The the follow up Teams call after the big call, yeah. you know, where you say, "Well, what did you think?" What, that's a really important apprenticeship kind mm. of mechanism as well. So, my, my call to action is definitely take responsibility. I think good organisations run good meetings. And if your meetings are pretty bad, it probably does say something kind of more prominently about the organisation, and you should be taking that pretty seriously.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as always, I uh, largely agree with Shuba and reinforce what he says. Uh, a slight concern that the impression we're giving, mate, is that we're a bit boring. Cricket and meetings. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, meetings matter. Uh, The reason why we did all this thinking is the conclusion we drew was meetings really matter and they matter for individuals and they matter for the organisation and they are a source of productivity. Uh, My call to action is uh, we need to move from unconscious to conscious in the way we approach our meetings. Uh, A lot of us, and I've done this, you know, I've gone to my EA and gone... Uh, what's my next meeting and why am I going? And I am sure a lot of people listening have sat in a meeting and go, why am I here? We need to move from unconscious to conscious. As a set of organisations, the APS needs to invest in the craft of meeting practice and really invest in the people who run that. As Shubo puts it, take responsibility... In the article, I talk about five behaviours and Shubo's covered uh, some of them. But just to emphasise, the first is, you know, actually, why? Is it needed? Ask yourself the question, as I think Anthony Jay did, um, what would happen if we didn't have the meeting?
1: Yeah.
2: Would it make a difference? So start there. Design and run the meetings for purpose. Be really, really clear on what the purpose is and spend time and effort in designing for that bring people into the room so that they do make a contribution contribution you do get that diversity you do get conclusions and you do get follow on chair and participate generously
3: mm-hmm.
2: look for the value pursue the value step over the things that are not working And then the final thing is follow-up. Your job is not done until you set up the circumstances and the environment that means that your meeting translates into real value. Once that's done, you can close the meeting and congratulate yourself.
3: Take take them seriously. Take the basics seriously. Start on time. Finish on time. If people aren't there, start anyway, right? They'll soon learn to turn up on time, right? Have a reasonable agenda so that people know where they stand. Have a reasonable write-up that isn't a word-for-word minute-taking mm. exercise but is actually a practical write-up that's useful for people. And then have a sense of where you're going with it. Th- these are not, you know, profound insights and yet they're, they're breached all the time, right? So if we just got some of our basic disciplines to work, uh, the, the baseline would be lifted to such an enormous degree... That then that does give you some opportunity to use them in more creative, innovative ways, and people might actually look forward to them from time to time.
1: <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> thank you, Sean and Shuvo, for a really great conversation today and for sharing your insights. And thank you also for letting me to talk uh, talk to you about it. I think uh, what I've taken away from today, firstly, is to take meetings seriously and invest time and effort into them to be generous in a meeting, particularly as a participant, because I think it's very tempting not to be sometimes or to get on your laptop, Um, to spend time and effort on the purpose of the meeting and also make sure you communicate that to the people participating in the meeting. And finally, maybe my creative hat on as well and work out ways of making it more, more memorable. So this brings our work with purpose episode to a close for today. I wanted to thank our listeners for joining us and wish you goodbye for now.
0: So there you have it. Who could have possibly thought that meetings were as interesting as those three just made them? Wonderful insights by Megan, by Sean and by Shubo. Thanks very much, everyone, for turning up once again for this very special episode of Work With Purpose. A big thanks to the team at IPA ACT and also to the Australian Public Service Commission because without their support, this program would not happen. I'm also very grateful to the team at Content Group who put this program together each fortnight for your listening pleasure. Now, if you do have the opportunity to rate or review the program on your favourite podcast catcher, that would be much uh, appreciated because what it does is to help the program to be found. Thanks once again for coming back. My name's David Pembroke. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now.
3: Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.